I'm recording. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Disability Dish, uh, the UMass Lowell Perspective. This is episode 14. We're very excited to have a number of amazing guests today. Um, we're talking about disability identity and community um, and just finding diagnosis at different stages of life and what that looks like. Um, and just as our general caveat, no one's expected to be an expert. We're just here to have a good conversation and reduce stigma by talking about disability and context with other people. So we're going to go ahead and introduce ourselves. Um, so I'm Jody Rachens. I'm the Director of Disability Services here. Um, and my relationship with the word disability is uh, manyfold. Um, I um, do this work for a living and I have for almost 20 years, um, but I also myself have um, Crohn's disease and I have a mental health condition. I have anxiety um, and I'm team therapy for life. Um, and um, my husband has ADHD and we're team couples therapy for marriage. Um, and um, my son, we're watching for ADHD pretty closely as he's just entered school. Um, so disability is kind of everywhere and around me in lots of different ways. Um, and so, yeah, that's me. So we'll let someone else introduce themselves. Uh, my name is Lauren Tornatori. I'm the Senior Assistant Director of Disability Education and Enhancement here at UMass Lowell. Um, my relationship to the word disability, I always joke that I hope we don't have uh, people listening to this every time because I change my answer every time. <laughs> I can definitely be consistent and say, you know, this is the career path that I chose. I've been in this field almost as long as Jody. Um, and I would also say, you know, I do have family members who uh, have various disabilities. Um, and so, you know, it's something I've dealt with also in my personal life. Who's next? I'll, I'll go next. Um, so my name is Sue Kim. I am, I have a couple titles. I am Associate Dean for Undergraduate Studies in the College of Fine Arts, Humanities, and Social Sciences, which is a mouthful. I am also a Professor of English, and I'm the co-director for the Center for Asian American Studies. Um, my relationship to the word disability, I mean, I think it's, um, I've only recently started to kind of identify as disabled, right? Because I'm a lifelong clinical depressive and I have, I'm very open about it. I've taught, I've told every class that I've ever taught, you know, that I'm, you know, depressed and this is like, you know, just a, a lifelong a chronic condition. But I think, uh, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but that because I don't have a physical disability, right? I mean, even though I'm a big proponent of, you know, people need to get, need to treat mental health just as much as physical health. I think in my own head, just for me, I I, I was like, oh, I felt like I was, you know, being a fraud if I identified as disabled as opposed to realizing that, you know, that is, that is a disability, so. I'll go. Hi, I'm Annie Seraldi. I'm an Associate Dean of Students for Compliance and Violence Prevention and a Title IX Deputy Coordinator and the single point of contact for hungry and homeless students here on campus. Um, and um, my identification with disabilities, with the word disability, um, like Sue, came later in life. Um, I've had a, I've had a couple of chronic illnesses since 1986, so a very long time now. Never thought about it as a disability, even though it really wreaked has wreaked havoc on my life. Um, um, and I and, and have always been like a uh, like invisible disability. So I had Crohn's disease, and so nobody really knew what unless I told them. Oh, I had colitis, sorry. And then just recently, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, so it's like an add-on. Um, but then I also have psoriatic arthritis, which is much more visible. And so when I when that started really becoming debilitating, um, that's when I really kind of went, oh, I'm I really am disabled. And, um, and it really hit me when one of my doctors said to me, you know, you got all these things going on. Why don't you just go on disability? And I'm like, because I'm not like, <laughs> so like, just because I hurt doesn't mean I can't function. And um, which to me sounded like that would tell me that I couldn't no longer do my job. Um, but then also um, as a parent of um, a now um, young woman um, who has um, a lot of struggles with OCD, anxiety and depression, um, 
I really identified with that for a lot longer with her than I have with myself. Um, so it's been, it has been a lifelong thing, but really for myself, identifying really recently, well, like within the past 10 years. Um, I'll go next. Uh, my name is Kelly Lawson and I am the um, assistant director of student success in the honors college. Um, I have um, a few different uh, connections to disability. Um, the first one that, that really brought this all on um, is I'm dyslexic and I was diagnosed when I was in first grade. Um, I did stay back in first grade and that was probably the best decision that my parents and teachers could have ever done for me. Um, so that would probably be my first one. And then um, I do suffer from anxiety and depression as well. Um, growing up, my mom, um, has uh, had a genetic disorder. And so that really kicked off things as far as the anxiety and depression when my mom had her first major surgery when I was about in second grade. Um, and that just kind of continues on. And then um, just last year, I was actually diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And um, that has been a whole nother thing um, yeah. to go with it. And um, I, I could not agree more with what everyone's saying as far as like a physical versus a, a hidden disability. Um, without my turban, no one probably would have known I was sick, um, which some days was great and then other days it was a little tricky. Um, but I have a lot of layers and then as far as my uh, role here at UML, um, I feel because of my experiences, I'm able to relate to students on a much different level. Um, so that to me is kind of where I found the purpose of like, this is why my life has kind of gone this way. And my mm -hmm. purpose is to hopefully give back and just be a listening ear to our students and really any, anybody. Um, I know I've had really great conversations with um, with Anne and Sue, so yeah. it's, um, it's been great. Courtney's coming off mute. Well, I'm like, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Sorry, it's hard to find on my, I'm on my phone, so I couldn't make it home in time. Um, <laughs> I'm a student, so I'll introduce myself. My name is Courtney. Um, I am a student. Um, I'm a transfer student, actually. So um, I'm sitting in the parking lot of Northern Essex Community College because it was the first <laughs> place that I live on my way home to stop at. Um, but I transferred from here last year um, to UMass Hall. Um, and I'm currently in biomedical engineering program um, from liberal arts, which is really strange, but <laughs> um, my relationship with disability, um, I think like other people, it's kind of hard to, I have, in, I've, you know, invisible illnesses, I have chronic illness. Um, so it's always been kind of like a weird um, experience with the word disability. I don't think I've, certainly people around me don't consider what I have as a disability. Um, and I'm, I'm coming along to the idea of it being so because it does certainly limit what I'm able to do in comparison to other people who don't have an illness. Um, it probably started when I was 14 and I got Lyme disease. Um, and that has significantly impacted my education throughout the years um, because I ended up developing um, anxiety and depression along with that. And uh, I actually didn't even finish high school because of it. I ended up getting my GED um, and my education has been very long process. I'm a non-traditional student as well. So I'm 28, I'm older. And I was just diagnosed with endometriosis and adenomyosis. Um, so that made a lot of things make sense as well um, because I had been still struggling mm -hmm. with a lot of things that I, maybe I shouldn't have been struggling with if it was just Lyme disease or mental health conditions. Um, so it's, I feel like it's a process, like you're constantly like um, figuring out how to navigate, you know, your own health, but then also juggling everything that comes with life as well. Um, but higher education has been probably the most difficult, I think, to navigate with chronic illness and, and finishing it, especially in the STEM. I had a lot of, I had a lot of support, I think, in liberal arts that they have a one up on versus STEM for some reason, yeah. Well, thanks everyone for sharing our initial question. Um, I'm gonna get into something that 
many people touched upon in, in their first response and I'll put in the chat too, but just looking at kind of that sense of community, you know, knowing that we all need community in some sense to thrive in our daily lives. Do you feel you're a part of the disability community? Um, who makes up that community for you? And if you want if any additions or changes you would like to see in that community, um, so, uh, you know, I can say for me as a professional, like definitely, uh, you know, it's difficult at times, right? Because we're tasked with um, meeting people where they're at, talking to everybody about what's going on for them, you know, having a great sense of empathy while also looking at the law is tough because sometimes, you know, looking at it from a compliance lens, um, you know, do I come across as empathetic all the time is a, is a question that I have. But I would also say too, you know, because I, I don't identify personally as a person with a disability, sometimes professionally, I have that question with, you know, do I belong in this role? You know, because we want to make sure that, you know, people with disabilities are able to speak for themselves and not have others speak for them. And so sometimes I struggle with that question with, you know, I feel I'm a part of the community in terms of helping to amplify voices, helping to, um, you know, hopefully remove barriers for students here. Um, but I also question sometimes am I taking space from someone else who I identifies more as being a part of that community. Um, so I know that's a little bit different of an answer, but I wanted to give people a chance to think uh, before passing along to anyone else. Um, I don't mind starting with that. Um, Lauren, that's an interesting perspective is that you feel like you don't necessarily belong. Um, I don't think that's true. <laughs> um, Thanks. I think you very much belong. Um, I feel like for my learning disability, um, I found out at such an early age that in some aspects I knew I was different because I would be pulled from classrooms um, to get special reading and things like that. Um, I would say the thing that I'm struggling most, and again, this is pertinent in my life as we speak, is that um, going through cancer diagnosis, it was, um, I had a lot of support. And then once you're, I ended my active treatment in January, and then it just kind of stops. Um, so I feel like um, I'm needing that kind of community. Um, plus, given my age of being of childbearing age and all of those things, there comes on other concerns and issues um, that I didn't necessarily knew I would have to face or deal with um, right at this moment. So I feel like with that, um, there's a lot of cancer groups, but I don't necessarily feel like I fit in with any of them. And that has been really difficult because that has kicked up my anxiety um, for sure. And also, I never realized that the journey between like active treatment and where I am right now, I feel like no one really talks about it. So I was completely blindsided. Like I just figured I would kind of snap my fingers. I'd be a little tired, but then I'd be good. And that can't be further from the truth. Um, I'm so closely monitored that I get scans every three months. Um, and I'm now learning the damage that chemo has done to my body. Um, so it's, it's a lot to take in. Um, plus, I want to just be, I hate using the word normal, but right, I feel like we always use that. Like, I just want to be normal, and I don't really even know what normal is anymore. Um, so I feel like we have a lot of room for improvement. And again, I know that's very specific, and I feel like, yes, we talk about cancer, and it's very well talked about, but is it really? So I, I that one I, I question um, a bit a bit with and I, I just want to add to that as far as my learning disability my parents and my teachers always taught me to be my own advocate and I learned that at a very young age and then going into academic advising it was such an eye-opening experience to me that that was a taught skill that my parents and teacher had taught me that isn't an innate skill um, that was a huge eye-opening experience. Um, and then that just made me feel even more of, of my purpose of being in the role that I'm in. Um, but yeah, self-advocacy is huge and it's hard. It's hard to do. That may or may not be the reason why I recently started the PhD program here was yeah. to try to figure out the teaching of self-advocacy. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you, Kelly. I mean, yeah, cancer is a is one of those ones that people are like, oh, we're not going to touch it, like whatever you need, whatever's going on for you, but you're right, then people don't touch it and they don't talk about it and they don't talk about the whole package of it. So yeah, that's a really good point. 
I do just want to add too, especially with um, Sue Kim, she was in the midst of it with me and she was an absolutely great support. And um, one thing that I have to say about UMass Lowell that I am extremely fortunate about is I was told, do what you need to do. Your, you, you as a person are important. Are important. And Sue Kim 100% was um, the spearheading that. And that is, I know how lucky I am because I know not every job feels that way about their employees. So um, since Sue Kim's on here, it's perfect. I have to give you a shout out because I mean, to not have to worry about that. No words. Um, thank you, Kelly. Um, so I'll, I'll jump in. I mean, so community, uh, I would say this is kind of a weird answer um, and it's not a good thing, but I would say like I know a lot of people like most of my friends are in higher ed, like they're either faculty or they're, you know, professionals in higher ed. And, um, you know, they're very because of the environment. And so like it's not inherent to being in higher ed. Right. But like because it's all about sort of education, you know, um, const, you know, lifelong learning. I always say that all my friends are depressed and or anxious, right? Because I do think that, um, I mean, so I wrote a book about anger and one of the areas that I research is sort of, you know, like, you know, emotions, right? And and the relationship between like emotions and cognition um, uh, and that these things aren't, they're not opposite, right? Like we feel things, sometimes like there isn't, we do feel things that are in excess of like, you know, reason, but so sometimes like, you know, like there are things that we should be angry about and things like that. So I, I, just, I would say that like, to some degree, some of that anxiety, depression is kind of a rational response to the world that we live in, right? That being said, right, like all, I am also like um, Lauren said earlier, I and Joe, somebody said earlier, I'm a lifelong pro proponent of lifelong therapy, you know, of medication. I always say pets and yoga changed my life, right? Like, I, I do think that, there is a cognitive sort of element to like sort of anxiety and depression in the world that we live in because things are not great, right? At the same time, especially for young people, it's important for them to know that it doesn't have to be this way, right? Because it's my friends or especially who are older, like people, you know, life is not perfect or normal, but like people have ways of sort of coping and they take seriously like their, their, their you know, a mental illness and stuff like that. Um, and so, and I don't even think that everybody, although it's increasingly, I think, thanks in part to disability studies scholars, right, that that we are sort of, you know, people in who have who have had like lifelong mental health issues are understanding the relationship to disability and things like that. Um, I think the change that I would like to see, it's not so much in the disability community, but it's just in the wider community. It goes back to exactly what Kelly said, right, that self-advocacy in the sense that you deserve, right, like you deserve like accommodations, right? Like, so, I mean, we have all talk, spoken to so many students and I always say students think it's just them, right? And this is why I always tell them, it's like all my friends are anxious and depressed, right? Because, um, because students always think it's just them and they just need to like, you know, suck it up and, and do better. And it's just like, no, you know, like as a, one of my doctors said to me, I think my first um, psychiatrist when I was in college, she was like, you know, if you were diabetic, right, you would not think twice about taking, you know, medication, right? But because it's depression, you still have the stigma about it. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's a good point, right? So, I mean, and that that was like a long time ago, like 25 years ago now, right? No, it was like 30 years ago now. So like, it was a long time ago, um, you know, and, and that's still that's still so prevalent in how people think, so. So I'll, I'll go. Um, let's see. Early on, when I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, it was um, a really, it wasn't a new disease, but it was a new diagnosis. And there were very few treatment options. And most of them I was allergic to. <laughs> so um, it caused me a lot of problems. Um, and but the, I think the biggest problem that I had was I didn't think anyone could possibly understand what I was going through because nobody spoke about it. It was totally like a, it was a real shameful thing to have basically what people call IBD, right? But it was, it's much worse than that. Um, and then you fast forward 10 years later, I had to have surgery to remove my colon because I was literally dying. Um, because again, there were very few treatment options. Like nowadays you see it on television. It's like, wow, this is awesome. There's so many different things. But um, I had a year and a half old daughter. My surgeon was telling me that I, um, 
I could either um, have anti-rejection medications, I could have surgery or I would die or I could die. And I was like, death is not an option. I was literally holding my year and a half old daughter when he's telling me this. She was asleep, thank God. But, um, and so I had surgery, but then I really felt like I had nobody at all in my life that could identify with what I was going through. And thank goodness, I had the most wonderful care team at Leahy Clinic who um, sent me to the um, to an international conference on Crohn's and colitis. And it happened to be in Boston that year. And I met thousands of people who had the same, you know, same issues and who were just like me, were educators, were athletes, were celebrities, were you name it, they were there, they were children, they were, you know, elderly people, it ran the gamut. And I, I, I literally suddenly felt like, okay, this is my community. This is who I can talk to. And I, I met somebody there who was from Australia, who to this day is one of my closest friends. Like she's come here. We, you know, we've, we've gotten together in both places and, um, and just have been able to develop other people into small chat groups online, you know, to talk about stuff. But it was awesome because I, I will tell you that when I first had surgery, I felt mutilated. I felt horrible. I was depressed. Um, there was just so much that went on with this. So to find people who could identify in the same way was awesome. Um, and, um, and the same thing went with my daughter when she developed, um, OCD, when not developed, when she, we really knew what it was. Um, I was, there was that page, that parent voraciously reading everything humanly possible about OCD. Um, and then finding out there were 9 million types of OCD. Um, and then finally went to, um, another one, the International OCD Conference and Community, which she has found some help in with the destigmatization, destigmatization of it, whatever, um, and that has helped me support her. Um, and then on the community, as in this community, as Kelly has said, this community has been the most supportive um, organization for me in terms of having to take time off, having to have, you know, work from home before work from home was a thing at UMass Lowell, <laughs> when I have to having surgery and stuff. Um, but, um, and so that's helped an awful lot. Um, and right now, many of you know, I walk with a rollator right now because my arthritis is so bad. I have severe degenerative arthritis in several of my joints. And um, walking with a roller, I feel like an old lady and people are like, no, you're just, you're just walking, you're doing what you need to do for yourself. And that is, they don't understand how helpful that is because it just takes it away from me. I'm like, okay, you're right. If I don't have this, I can't walk right. You know? So, um, in that sense, I definitely feel that community. Um, the one place that I, or the one change that I would say, I would love to see in the community of disability services, especially here is, um, <laughs> is an HR without them asking 9 million questions and actually asking you to, to justify why you need something. And I'm specifically thinking about the pandemic when I couldn't come back and, and I had to send paperwork in every 10 minutes, it felt like to justify why I was home. <laughs> yeah. So that's one thing. I just think, you know, if my doctor says I'm disabled and I need to be home because of it, I need to be home because of it. You shouldn't be asking me for more and more proof. So, yeah, I think we're, workplace disability is a whole other topic we should probably talk about and how yeah. sort of the distance it still has to go. Let's say. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think we yeah. always takes a second to get my sound on. <laughs> uh, so my my community has always been like, my experience with community with um, disability has always been kind of like ebbed and flowed. Um, I got, when I had Lyme disease, I got pretty early on in like um, Facebook groups for Lyme. Um, but then, you know, you kind of fall away from that, but it's weird to <laughs> like not know anybody, right. That has Lyme, which is strange also. Cause you feel like everybody has it. Once I got to, like community college, it seemed like everybody had it. But in high school, you know, no one had it. No one really understood like me getting dizzy spells or, um, you know, having pain in my back, like chronically. And um, that was a weird experience to have those conversations with like other teenagers who aren't dealing with those things. Um, and that, that continues on, like even through higher education, like having these conversations of like, why, why did you miss the exam? Well, you know, I was in pain or, you know, I, I couldn't drive because I was so dizzy. 
um, those are like difficult conversations to have because you always feel like, I don't know about anybody else, but I feel like I am taking advantage of accommodations by having a chronic illness, if that makes sense. Um, because it's invisible. Everybody sees me and I, I look fine. Like you hear about that. They're like, Oh, you look great today. I'm like, thanks. I'm in horrible pain. <laughs> like I, I'm lucky I'm standing right now. Um, or, um, I have this like feeling with professors all the time when I'm talking to them about accommodations is like, well, you look fine. You look good. It's like, Oh, thanks. <laughs> I'm glad that I, I look okay, but I, I don't really feel okay. Um, and it wasn't until I got diagnosed with endometriosis that I, I kind of sort of finally found a community. Um, it's a very tight knit community, people with endometriosis because of, I think there's a big stigma with endometriosis. One, a lot of people have never heard of it. And then two, our treatment options have not progressed in like 40 years, right? Like what, what we do to treat endometriosis has not, not progressed because the funding isn't there for female gynecological conditions, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, the Facebook groups that I ended up becoming a part of really helped, you know, me figure out like, okay, what are the options for me? Cause my doctor was not helpful at all. Um, unfortunately it was just like, we'll go on birth control. And I was like, well, you know, there's, I've had side effects before to it, especially with someone who's had mental health issues. And so it's like, okay, it's compounding my other issues that I have. Um, and so I did a lot of research and I ended up finding, you know, really, really good community that helped me find a surgeon. Um, and then navigating, like, what does it mean to get surgery? I had no idea. My mom had no idea. Nobody in my family has a chronic illness. Nobody in my family deals with those kind of things. Um, so having people that were there who could be like, Hey, so this is what to expect. Um, these are the possibilities, you know, you could be really good after surgery or maybe it doesn't work, which is scary to think about that. You might still have pain even after going through this, but like, at least then you have like a little community there. And, um, that has helped me get through this recently. Um, but the greater community, I think within like your relationships kind of thing is that, I think that's, that's difficult because people just see you looking okay. And they have a hard time really grasping that you're not okay. Right. If you're standing and you're on two feet and you're breathing, well, you're fine. Right. Like you're okay. And that's been, you know, my, my main experience with friends and family and, um, a lot of higher education, not everybody. I've had like some fantastic professors who have also had, you know, either mental health issues or chronic illnesses who, you know, can relate to you, but unless like you have that relation, like they, they can relate to you. I think it's hard to build a community within that. So thank you so much. You all are so vulnerable and honest and it's making this such a rich conversation. And I'm <laughs> Lauren and I are chatting behind the scenes, like, which one should we ask next? Because they brought yeah. some good points. Um, I know. <laughs> but so, um, I, you know, I'm I'm inclined, what keeps popping in really closely to what folks just said was um, about in, in recent years, we're seeing more openness from celebrities and professional athletes talking about disability more openly. I'm thinking Amy Schumer is the endo queen right now, right? And uh, Taylor Tomlinson, who's going to be our first woman late night talk show host, is really open about having bipolar disorder, um, you know, and Michael Phelps talks about his mental health and so does um, Gabby Douglas and, you know, those kinds of things. And so, um, you know, it's making it more accessible regarding disability and sort of the stigma, but, you know, positive it seems like a positive thing. Are there negatives? I don't know. What are people's thoughts on, on sort of this? Um, I think I, I see it twofold, right? Like everything. <laughs> um, I think that it's uh, a positive thing because it's getting people to talk about it. And maybe those that may have felt ashamed, um, maybe feel like, okay, now it's time for me to come forward. Like I, I have that, um, I want to say courage. I'm not sure if that's exactly the right word um, to come forward or to get the help. Um, also, I think, it comes into play when we talk about family dynamics and culture. Sometimes it is still very much a stigma. Maybe the outside world you feel better in, but your own, you know, circle, if you will, even being in your family, that can cause a big, um, that can cause dynamics um, to change and to shift. So I think to know that there's help out there is also really helpful. Um, the one negative thing, and I, I, I don't know how to how this would even be changed, so I don't have a good solution. Um, is I feel that some people 
don't uh, truly understand that with mental health in particular, that it's truly a disability, that it's truly something that we have to struggle through. I mean, there's days that I cannot physically get myself to get out of bed. Um, there's sometimes like I feel that I'm like screaming, like I physically and maybe potentially mentally feel so drained and exhausted and hurting that I feel like how can people not see how deeply I'm hurting? So it feels like I'm screaming it, but really I'm not screaming it and it's actually very isolating. So I feel for, for that, um, it's a positive because maybe that's who they feel they can connect with. Um, but to go back on the, the negative piece is, um, it's hard because everyone, oh, everyone has anxiety. Everyone has depression. And when you have anxiety and you have depression, that is like probably one of the biggest insults um, because to me, it's like, so I'm not being seen at all. So that I think is, is a hard thing um, that it's great. We're talking about it. And I think we need to continue the conversation, but that stigma is still there. Um, and that's tricky. I, and I don't have a solution. <laughs> Yeah. I agree. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Courtney. No. Are you sure? Yeah, I, I was just going to agree and, and bounce off that in that, you know, talking about it is great. But then I think some people feel almost oversaturated with it. And they say, well, these celebrities are doing great. You know, they, you know, they are very, you know, accomplished. So how is it a disability if they're so accomplished? Or, um, you get a lot of misinformation sometimes with celebrities because they have different um, options for treatments. Um, I know like endometriosis has a ton of misinformation around it um, that you will hear some celebrity say something about and you're like, <laughs> that's, that's not true. And we're trying to move away from that so that we can get better treatment options within the community. Um, and then I, I, I just think that their, you know, awareness is great but it has to be awareness that, you know, is accurate and that also portrays like there's different privileges in place, right? You know, they can get the best treatment available to them. And that's, you know, fundamental for, for being able to perform and, and do the things that they can do. But for the majority of us, we don't have that accessibility. We can't pick and choose whatever doctors that we want to go to. Um, and that creates, you know, this false narrative that, okay, you know, they have endometriosis, but they are, you know, a huge comedian in the world and they're able to do three movies a year or something like that. And, you know, I, and then they're like, why, why can't you perform in the same way? Like, why are you, why are you limited then? Um, and that I think then, you know, increases like a different stigma, like there's awareness, but it's not helping the situation for me, like for the average person who doesn't have the same means. Yeah, I totally agree. And like one of the things that always strikes me is, uh, and we talk about this at work, is that there are so many gradients of like, let's talk about depression, right? So you can be depressed. I, I, I can't take it when people say I'm a little depressed today. <laughs> it's like, you know, um, you're sad, but not to not to judge, but you know, but um, but everything becomes major depressive jet like disorder or generalized depressive and and not necessarily in reality. Do you know what I mean? And so like, instead of destigmatizing, it's like everybody who has depression must have it to this extent or who must have it um, really bad or any number of things. And it's, it, I think it waters it down. I don't think it necessarily helps make the case that it's a disability as much as like Courtney was just saying, everybody has depression, which is not true. And, um, and so I think it takes away from people who really are suffering through it. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I, I definitely, I, I agree. And I want to, um, re you know, like second what, what Courtney said about, you know, um, it's on the one hand, it's what everybody said on the one hand, it's great that more people are talking about it, but, um, you know, what is the actual impact, right? So for example, if like, you know, celebrities and athletes talk about disability, I mean, does that still make, you know, treatment more available for like you know people generally right so if these people you know like they don't um so you know if treatment for disabilities becomes something more for like people with more resources or privileges right um also like you know cultural access right i mean like uh the center for asian american studies a lot of people do work on research on sort of like 
culturally relevant the education and um <clears throat> uh healthcare right and you know the it's difficult enough like i'm an english professor right it's difficult enough getting treatment if you speak english and you're you know fully conversant in like you know american culture but if you're you know an immigrant or a refugee right or uh, i can't i can't even imagine like the levels or you know you don't have if you're undocumented like the levels of difficulty to access care it's just like it's already hard and i'm like in one of the most privileged positions right and so it's just i i i, I so agree with that right that i mean it's great that it's more open but what what's what's actually the effect of these things yeah i know i would say from like the professional side i can say like one thing that's good is that yes there are more people coming forward saying they're comfortable identifying one thing that's been frustrating for me has been kind of seeing this trend like i'll use the example of the word terms executive functioning or time blindness um so executive functioning is something that professionally we've known many people with a variety of disabilities have a difficulty with which would be like future planning planning, um, you know, kind of plotting out your day, plotting out your schedule, things like that, being organized, having your time managed. Um, and, you know, I've seen this shift in the last like year or two of students kind of saying, well, you know, I have executive functioning issues, so I can't, I can't do anything. You know, I can't do any of the things that are expected of me in college. I, I can never be to class on time. I can never get any assignments in, you know, in kind of in the same thing with the newer term of quote unquote time blindness that's being associated with people who have ADHD saying, you know, well, it's, it's, it is more difficult for people with ADHD to track their time and manage their time. But I think sometimes I, I'm frustrated hearing kind of this, uh, what seems like a learned helplessness sometimes of an over-application or oversimplification of, of a real disability and a real diagnosis of then just saying, well, that person is just never going to be capable of that. Um, you know, and that's different than saying this is a challenge for me. This is something I'm working on. It's, it's hard, but I think to just, especially when I hear it from students who are 18 to 22 years old, say, this is something I will never be able to do is concerning because then I think, what? how do you think about yourself and the way you move through the world? Because I think you're capable of so many things. You're young, the world is open to you and to already feel like there's a, there's just an impossibility at this point in your life is, is difficult. So that, that part, I guess, if I were to focus on the negative, which I love doing then, and then that's the part I would say is like the, the negative part of the, of this conversation. Um, and I think Jody wanted to say something too, as I was talking, I saw you come off. Yeah, mute. no. Um, so I don't even know if we can call that like a celebrity. That was like a TikTok trend mm -hmm. to say time blindness. So, um, you know, a social media trend or something. It's not really, a, I'm not going to call that girl a celebrity, even if she had however many views. Yeah. Um, <laughs> TikTok. yeah. Um, but yeah, something you had said to kind of struck for me too. I mean, I am fortunate right now that my Crohn's has been really well controlled for the past eight years. I found a medication that works really well, but eight years ago, I was meeting with surgeons to have a bit of my intestine removed potentially. And I don't think on a daily basis of, of the, you know, of the care and of the care of our society and those things, except I think about it. <laughs> Every time we change health insurance, um, you know, changed health insurance July 1st, didn't get this medication that has saved my life until October 1st, um, you know, after, you know, having to do all the rigmarole. And, um, you know, I also thought about it during the pandemic and it was that weird privilege in some ways where I was like, well, I could get the vaccine earlier, I think. Um, should I be that person? Should I be taking a slot of getting an earlier vaccine than other people because I'm I don't feel immunocompromised, but technically I'm on the list and, you know, those kinds of things. And so, you know, the, the privilege you all have brought up, I mean, spanning all the way up to, you know, as much of Amy Schumer who, you know, she's promoting, um, you know, her, her journey, but you're absolutely right. She could, she could fly to the other side of the world to get the best care if that's where the best care was, you know? Um, and, and so that that's, that is complicated. And we're like in this dichotomy right now of, more information, more knowledge. It's great. And 
it may not be spreading all the all the accurate information of the spectrum of everybody's experience. Um, so. I have something just to add to um, as far as like insurance is um, or our healthcare. <laughs> I could go on and on and on and on. Um, um, I would sit on, I would joke, but it's not funny, but I would sit on hold and I was like, hold for three hours to get my blood thinning, you know, uh, shot that nobody wants. Um, there's no great benefits unless you're using blood thinner. Um, I will sit here for three hours, no problem. But what really would aggravate me and infuriate me more and more and more, and I actually talked a lot about this in therapy, is that I will sit on hold. I know that I can ask questions. I always think about for whatever the reason, whether they just don't have the resources, whatever, right? There's there's a million different reasons, and it would infuriate me that someone, not everyone has that capability, and not everyone is able to um, know that that's even an option. So that's something that I spent many months, a lot of money on therapy talking about because it really truly infuriates me. Um, and then one thing as far as like the Amy Schumer thing um, and Courtney, you said this so perfectly. That's why I don't know if you saw him, but I was like shaking my head is that um, although we are privileged, I 100% feel that I'm privileged is as far as like childbearing, right? I'm right in that age group. And they would say, oh, you can freeze your eggs or you can have surrogacy and all of these things. The cost for these things are not just a thing that happens and it's astronomical. So I know some people are just trying to help the situation like, oh, you could do surrogacy. And um, in some cases, it's like, have you actually looked up what that entails and what that takes? Or even I had the hard decision of, did I want to freeze my eggs before I started chemotherapy? Because there was a good chance that they would be damaged. Um, and that was just like a, a mind blowing thought to even have when I'm like, I don't even know what my body's going to be going through. So Courtney, you just said it so perfectly. Um, and as far as we have gone is as much as we still have so much room for growth. Um, and gosh, the healthcare system, that's a whole nother. Oh, that's a whole other podcast. That's a, that's a mini, that's a mini series. Don't you think? Okay. So, so <laughs> accommodations at work and insurance. Uh, yeah. Thanks like, for giving us more ideas, everybody. <laughs> you, well, know. you know, and on the insurance part of it with <laughs> mental health, like I've gone through this again with my daughter, um, last December, she had a horrible, she has, she has OCD with, um, intrusive thoughts. And so it can get really scary and really difficult for her to, to manage um, and the rest of us around her um, and trying to find a therapist that would take insurance was impossible. And when we finally landed on no OCD, which Howie Mandel, you know, says is the most, the greatest thing in the world. Um, it is, if you are, as Kelly said, privileged to be able to pay for it. Um, my daughter working, you know, a regular job at they were they wanted to meet with her and were two times a week at $170 an hour. So $340 a week. So I was paying well over $1,200. So my daughter wouldn't kill herself and insurance does not pay for it. And it was, you know, I was going crazy with it. Like, and I said to her, she's like, I'm so sorry, mom. What are you going to do? I'm not going to, I'm not going to lose her because it's money. Like, you know, money's whatever, but the reality that our country is in the throes of a huge mental health crisis and no one can find therapists that will take insurance is crazy. It, it's crazy. It's mind boggling to me. It is, it, it's frustrating. And, you know, I mean, I, I know our students struggle with it. I mean, you know, I mean, Courtney, could you afford a $170 week therapy session? You know, even $50 a week, it's it's just too much. It's just way too much for the average person. And it's so frustrating. So we're supposed to just let our kids and our family members kill themselves or suffer endlessly, right? It, it oh, I could I could run for office just on that one. <laughs> no, I have my vote in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fortunate enough when I first got diagnosed with my um mental health issues um or conditions. Um that my, the counselor at Northern Essex was willing to see me every week because I couldn't afford therapy. I couldn't afford to see somebody else. And normally you just see the counselor to like, as a triage, right? Like they help yeah. you find what you need. Um, and she was great with like sticking with me for like the years that I was at, at community awesome. college. Um, but yeah, I can't, I have to do, I'm supposed to do physical therapy 
almost no physical therapist near me for my for my endometriosis. I can't. They none of them take insurance. So like my daughter, my surgeon keeps asking me like, when are you going to do the physical therapy? I'm like, I can't. Like I don't know what to tell you. There's nothing I can do about it. It's very it's very frustrating. It's very weird that you know you have you have this this illness. You have these these disabilities. The medical industry is aware that these exist, and yet can't get access to the treatments that you need to feel better. And then to be a, like, they want you to be a productive member of society. Yep. Well, give me everything that I need so that I can be a productive member of society. Because yeah. it's not the medical professionals making those decisions. No. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Sue, we're going to have to read your book on anger now. <laughs> all right i think lauren's gonna wrap kind of start to wrap us up we could go on forever yeah so i would i'm just gonna go to our wrap-up question because you know we are running out of time so um you know usually what we ask at the end is just asking everyone to share what's something that you'll take away from today's conversation um and i can certainly go first one thing i had i had written down as we were talking cuz sometimes i'll take notes of different things that people are talking about I want to go back to something that Courtney had mentioned about this concept of quote unquote, you look fine. Um, It's definitely something, you know, I've heard as a professional, I've had other people say that, you know, well, this student looks fine or, you know, what's really the issue and things like that and navigating that. But I also think sometimes that plays into, especially our Western society's concept of beauty that, you know, disability is ugly. And so we should be able to see it on other people, it should be a scar. It should be, it should be something that someone kind of carries with them that, you know, is some kind of like disfigurement almost in order to justify what a person needs. And so if somebody has a nice outfit on or like has their hair done or, you know, any of those other things that somehow that doesn't equate with the word disability. Um, And to me, that goes back to the stigma that's really associated with that word. So I just appreciated you bringing that up because I was, it it just gave me more thought about that. Uh, Besides my usual thoughts of like, why is it your business to say like, oh, this person is smiling, so they must be fine, <laughs> you know? Like I just, those kind of conversations are always frustrating. But. Um, This is uh, Sue, I, I'll say just really quickly. I mean, I'm gonna first thank everybody for, you know, being so open and sharing everything. Um, And also I think just, you know, reinforcing um and reminding me that it's really, um you know, it's such a systemic, like disability is individual, it's deeply individual and it's experienced by the individual. But really when we talk about, you know, making this a livable world for people, you know, for everybody, right? It's, it's It has to be this kind of systemic change, right? Because so that people can get the access to the care that they need so that they can, you know, do what they need to do. And, um, you know, it's cultural, but also, you know, institutional and, you know, like related to insurance and medical, the medical industry and all that kind of stuff. But so thank you. I, one of the things that this reminds me of, and I think about this a lot because of all the students that I work with, but is that um, you never know what's going on in someone's life. And, you, you know, to, to just look at them and judge them as so totally wrong that we don't have any clue as to what someone's dealing with or suffering and um to I mean it's gonna sound so hokey right but to treat each other with as much kindness as you can and with much understanding as you can um because we don't know we have no idea and thank you everybody for sharing too um, this helped me with, I'll go back to our first question about community, um, is that really outside my uh, my office, there's so many of us that are potentially even feeling the same way. Um, it may look different, but um, the sentiment is still there. One thing too, as we've been talking about is I, we've been talking a lot about mental health and some of our um, diseases and physical ailments. Um, whereas I feel like I'm a little bit unique in that I do have a learning disability as well. Um, and it's interesting because I think um, mental health has, in some cases, overshadowed a true learning disability. Um, now, I guess I feel okay saying that since I have a learning disability and a mental illness, and now I join the disease group as well. Um, 
but I, it's just interesting because when we talk about disability, I feel it used to be about like learning and things like that. Um, and the physical things, right, a broken leg, uh, whatever the case may be physically. But now I think mental health, um, in my opinion, really has taken on a world of itself. And there's, um, I say that with non-judgment, um, but I think this just goes to show how much time, energy, money, resources, research that needs to be put into the word disability. We have so far to go. Yeah, I I agree with what everybody has said um, in closing. Uh, I think we do. We have so far to go. Um, you know, I've, I've especially with, with invisible illnesses and stuff, I've been through it through, you know, high school, community college, you know, traditional four-year university. Um, and, you know, it hasn't changed, really. I mean, yes, awareness has changed, but the way that I I'm constantly, I feel like, on guard talking to people about my accommodations and such. It hasn't changed. Um, the questioning, the judgment, the, you know, is she telling the truth? Is it as bad as she says? You know, that's all still there. Um, but I think seeing, you know, all the professionals on this call, um, you know, be where they're at. Um, I think that that helps me as a student to see that. I think having more professors and and people in in academia um kind of showcase you know a little bit what's behind you know their their success is helpful for students um because that's more of a one-on-one -on -one rather than like that's a more like a level playing field rather than seeing like a celebrity um come out about their experiences I don't tend to relate to celebrities very much right um because there's such a world away world apart in terms of of our our life experiences are much different. Um, so that I think that's what I'm mostly taking away is that I think like the community is, you know, it's there even if you don't see it. Like there are, there are people around, you know, UMass Lowell with a lot of experiences that are similar, similar to mine, so. Thank you so much. I can only synthesize things everybody has, has said. Um, um, you know, I'm, looking just at the six of us here and Lauren said she doesn't identify with a disability, but some podcasts actually she does identify with a disability. It kind of just depends on her mood. So, um, so, you know, thinking about everybody's sort of just different experience and, and stigma, you know, even thinking to myself, when I say out loud, I'm team therapy, it, you know, it, I hesitate every single time I say it, and then I feel good that I said it, you know, um, and and so there's just a lot of stigma and there's stigma in every direction with every category that we're talking about here. So more to do, but I'm, I just, I'm love this conversation. It's, it's just, it's really wonderful to see such accomplished people and people with goals and people that are just pushing through so much and doing it, showing up every day. Um, so thank you so much, everybody. I'm going to stop recording.